Although I've told this particular story years ago, it bears repeating. One of my kid sisters' uh, chores was to take care of the bummers. And of course, since she was a girl, she named every last one of them. And my favorite was Teeny. Okay, Father, so your favorite bummer was Teeny. What's that supposed to mean? A bummer is a bum lamb. A bum lamb is a lamb whose mama won't take care of it. She won't let the little lamb nurse. And so unless you can graft it on another ewe, a ewe is a, a mama sheep, unless you can graft that little lamb on another ewe, then you have to take it in and get it nursing on a bottle mighty fast, or it'll be dead mighty quick. And as you probably gathered by the name my little sister stuck on her, teeny was a little teeny tiny bum lamb, just the right size for my sister who was that time, maybe four or five years old, and quite the little shrimp herself. So anyway, my sis would go uh, mix up the milk replacer and put in a big bottle, stick a, a nipple on them, and then go feed the bum lambs. And of course, if you've ever seen little lambs, they just sort of automatically put a smile on your face because they're, they're prancing and jumping around and kicking and all that. But when my sister called, Tini would just come uh, running flat out stop all her jumping and bang uh, because she knew she was going to get a belly full of warm milk. It's one of the great pictures I have in my mind of this very small girl uh, feeding a, a very small lamb. Some years later, I was home for a visit. We're standing outside watching the lambs uh, playing and jumping around. The sheep were grazing maybe 60, 80 yards uh, away. And I told my sister what a kick I used to get out of watching her and Teeny. I wondered what had ever happened to Teeny. Uh, was she still around or had she gone to the sale yard? And my sister answered by saying about this loud, Teeny. And as soon as she said that, a youth swung around and broke right through that herd of sheep that were grazing and uh, came running at a high lope right towards us with two little lambs uh, scrambling along behind to keep up with their mama. She didn't stop running until she skidded right up to my sister, and then my sister just turned to me and says, well, there's Teeny. And I just started laughing. My sister had spoken Teeny's name just loud enough for that sound to carry out across the field, and it was quiet. And Teeny had broken out of the band in the process, pertinent run over all the other sheep, just in her hurry to get to my sister. Teeny sure knew my sister's voice. The sheep sure hadn't come running to me, and I'd said the name at least as loud as my sister when I asked about her. In today's gospel, our Lord identifies himself as the good shepherd. He identifies us as his sheep. And only a few lines before in the gospel, he had said that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and quote, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So just like Teeny knew the voice of my sister would break out of the band and come running and follow my sister around, so also our Lord's sheep know his voice and should break out of the band and come running and follow him around. After all, he is the good shepherd. How do they know his voice? Where do they hear his voice? Do they actually hear him? Like y'all are hearing me right now. Yes, they do. Since he sent out his apostles to go and preach his name, his sheep hear his voice speaking through his church. 
They hear his voice speaking through sacred scriptures. They hear his voice speaking through sacred tradition, through the teachings of the popes, the ecumenical councils. They hear his voice speaking through our beautiful divine liturgy. And of course, sometimes his sheep hear his small, quiet voice speaking to them in the depths of their souls. And what does he say to his sheep? He says, repent, confess your sins, be holy, do God's holy will. The good shepherd says, quote, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He who does not love me does not keep my words. So the sheep that follow the good shepherd hear his voice tell them to repent, confess their sins, and be holy, to do his holy will, to keep his commandments, to follow him in the one true flock with the one true shepherd. Now let's stop and think about Teeny again for a moment. When my kid sister spoke her name, Teeny came running with her lambs, just like that. Isn't that just like life? Just like Tinny suddenly busted away from the band and came running, don't we regularly see people suddenly repenting, suddenly running away from the band they've been traveling with, suddenly changing their ways, making a good confession, returning to Mass? Hasn't it all happened to some degree to all of us here today? Don't we see people who, in spite of themselves, who hear our Lord calling them to convert, to convert. The state of the church and its human element is just this side of a sewer. And yet you can see these people converting. How many wonderful converts have we been blessed with? It's incredible. It's incredible. And they're coming in all the time. The good shepherd is gathering his sheep. He's calling his sheep by name and sheep suddenly break away from other bands to come and follow him in the one true church. So we can see the parallel between the Lord's sheep and my kid sister's sheep. But there's another parallel we ought to consider. Remember when my sister spoke her name, Timmy came running with her lambs, but the rest of the band kept right on grazing. They didn't pay any attention at all to my sister's voice. And isn't that also just like what we see all around us? People all around us who are seemingly unable to hear, or at least to clearly hear, the voice of the Good Shepherd. Massive numbers, frightening numbers, terrifying numbers of people all around us who seem unable to hear, to clearly hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. What's that all about? How is it possible that such small numbers of people appear to respond to the voice of the Good Shepherd? Doesn't our Lord desire the salvation of all men? Yes, he does, and it would be heretical to deny it. He does desire the salvation of all men, but he won't force any of us to listen to him. The Good Shepherd himself actually explained in some detail why people are seemingly unable to hear, or at least to clearly hear his voice in the parable of the sower, which is found in the Gospels of Saints Matthew, Mark, 
and Luke. We'll read from chapter 8 of the Gospel of St. Luke, starting at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. Then as he sowed, some fell along the path, was trodden underfoot, and the birds there devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yield a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so in this parable, the sower represents our Lord. The seed that he's scattering represents seeds of faith. His teaching plants seeds of faith. The different conditions of the soil in which the seed is landed represent the different kinds of responses that his hearers have to his message of salvation. Okay, so now our Lord himself explains the meaning of this parable. We'll read what he has to say and then make a few comments on each of the four conditions of the soil. Quote, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. They may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and time of temptation fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bring forth fruit with patience. Okay, now remember we're trying to figure out why so many people all around us seem unable to hear, at least to clearly hear, the voice of the Good Shepherd. How is it that such small numbers of people appear to respond to his voice? We've just heard our Lord himself explain the four kinds of responses that mankind has to his voice. The first response, seeds sown along the path. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. They may not believe and be saved. These are people who, although they are aware of at least some of the truths of the gospel, make no effort to move any farther than that. We'll just quickly consider one example. In chapter one of his letter to the Romans, St. Paul points out that just by looking at creation, just by observing nature and the natural order, that God's existence is obvious to everyone. And he points out that since God's existence is obvious to everyone because God has shown it to him, then those who deny his existence are without excuse. They have no excuse before God. It's important for us to realize that the quality of the soul, the soil condition, so to speak, has to do with the disposition of the will of the listener. So those who have turned away from God are those who have heard, as our Lord says, but their hearts are not truly seeking him. They don't believe because they've turned their hearts towards some other good rather than God. For a variety of reasons, they don't or they won't embrace the truth. That's easy to understand. One of the most common ways of getting this condition is for a man to decide for himself what's right and what's wrong, 
to build a moral code that suits his own particular proclivities. In other words, instead of conforming himself to the truth, this kind of man imagines himself to be the source of his own morality. In a certain sense, he expects reality to be conformed to his own personal preferences. And this is really common. Okay, Father, but how does the devil fit into all this? After all, the Lord said the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. So how does that work? We'll answer that with the help of some experts. Anton LaVey, satanic priest and founder of the Church of Satan. Quote, I can do anything I want to. I can pursue any kind of lustful desires, engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities, and not really worry about any ecumenical councils making it right for me to do those things. Close quote. I can do anything I want to. I can pursue any kind of lustful desires, engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities, and not really worry about any ecumenical councils making it right for me to do those things. Marilyn Manson, satanic priest, would-be rock and roll musician. Quote, The idea of Antichrist is just acceptance of yourself as a powerful being who can make their own decisions. This is not someone with 666 on their head. Satanism is about worshiping yourself because you are responsible for your own good and evil. Close quote. The idea of Antichrist is just the acceptance of yourself as a powerful being who can make their own decisions. It's not someone with a 666 on their head. Satanism is about worshiping yourself because you're responsible for your own good and evil. Please note, LaVey referenced councils, and this one references the scriptures. They know what they're doing. So what did the satanic priest tell us? That Satanism is about worshiping yourself because you are responsible for your own good and evil. So go ahead, do anything you want. Pursue any kind of lustful desires. Engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities that you want to. Accept yourself as a powerful being who can make your own decisions. And where have we heard that before? In Genesis 3, quote, And the serpent said to the woman, No, you shall not die the death. Your eyes shall be opened. And you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satanism is about worshiping yourself because you're responsible for your own good and evil. And the serpent said, you should be as gods, knowing good and evil. So just how successful is this basic tactic of Satan, this fundamental temptation for each of us to just do our own thing, decide what's right and wrong for me, rather than heed the commandments of the Lord? How successful is this tactic? The winter 1990 edition, 1999 edition of the cult magazine Gnosis, and I certainly am not recommending it, offers an answer. Quote, if there's anything horrifying in Satanism's teachings, it's that these are the principles by which most people live most of the time, usually without admitting it even to themselves. Close quote. If there's anything horrifying about in Satanism's teachings, it's that these are the principles by which most people live most of the time, usually without admitting it even to themselves. But we don't need to turn to cult magazines to find this out. All we have to do is just look around. 
The very essence of Catholicism is to do whatever he says. As Our Lady said, let it be done unto me according to thy word. And the very essence of Satanism is, I'm going to do what I want. The Good Shepherd says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he that does not love me does not keep my words. How many people, even people who claim to be Catholic, make strenuous efforts to keep the commandments and lead a holy life? How many? Is it a majority? Is it a majority? Many are called, but few are chosen. So we've looked at the first response of mankind to the voice of the Good Shepherd, seeds sown along the path. Those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. They may not believe and be saved. Our Lord explains the second response of mankind to the voice of the Good Shepherd. The second response, seeds sown on rocky ground. Quote, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. This rocky ground is better soil than the path. These people receive the word of God with joy, but they don't apply it to their lives. It never really takes root. They end up having a very superficial faith because it doesn't penetrate into their hearts. It doesn't sink in deep roots. They go through the motions. They listen to the word. They actually enjoy listening to the word. They hear the voice of the Lord. They recognize the truth therein. And as long as everything is smooth, as long as there's no real resistance, as long as the truth is popular, then they'll continue practicing the faith. But if suddenly there's resistance, for example, scorn is poured upon the truth, you don't really believe contraception is wrong, do you? If suddenly there's some sinful advantage to falling away, you know, we'd really like to advance in the company, but you'd have to join the lodge. If suddenly a persecution arises, then they pitch the whole thing. A lot of people, an awful lot of people, make decisions not on the basis of what's true, but rather on the basis of calculations. How is this going to impact my business? How will this impact my political aspirations? What will my family think? What will my friends think? What impact will this have on my behavior? How common is this? It's hard to say. One way to think about it would be to ask yourself, how many pro-abort Catholic politicians can you think of? Or how many anti-divorce Catholic politicians can you think of? When's the last time you heard a bishop preach on contraception? or sterilization, or divorce? When's the last time you heard a parish priest warning his people about the fate awaiting them if they continue to contracept? 
we're going to get a pretty clear idea of the actual percentages fairly soon when the situation breaks into open persecution. So we looked at the second response of mankind to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Seeds, seed sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while in the time of temptation they fall away. Our Lord explains the third response of mankind to his voice. The third response. Seed sown among the thorns. Quote, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit is not mature. So this is even better soil than the rocky ground, and so the seed takes root and grows, but it never bears fruit. These people hear the word of God and truly believe it, but they suffer from worldliness. Their first love, above all, is really the riches, the pleasures, and delights that this world has to offer. They just don't love God above all else. Sure, they might go to Mass, and they might believe absolutely everything the Church teaches, but when it comes right down to it, their wealth, their power, their sensual pleasures are really at the center of their heart. How common is this? It's hard to say. One way to think about it might be to ask yourself how many wealthy Catholics are really using their riches to build up the kingdom of God. It's a frightening thought, isn't it? How many married Catholics are really having the children God wants to send them? That's a really frightening thought. How many Catholics are leading pure lives? That's a terrifying thought. We can get a ballpark idea of that by considering the most recent statistics for Christians in general. There's a survey done last year by the Barna Group. They found that 64% of American men and 20% of women view impure material at least monthly. For Christian men, that number is 55%. Nearly one-third of men under 30 view impure material on a daily basis. 18% of men believe they may be addicted to this filth. And given the shame associated with such a survey, it needs to be assumed that these percentages are too low. We have all these men and boys walking around with dirty movie theaters in their pockets. Do they really love God above all else? Do they? So we looked at the third response of mankind to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Seeds sown among the thorns, the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Our Lord explains the fourth response of mankind to the voice of the Good Shepherd. The fourth response. Seed sown on good ground. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bring forth fruit with patience. These are the people who, in effect, respond like Teeny did to my kid's sister when she called her name. 
they hear the voice of the Lord, and they truly strive to understand it and to apply it to their lives. And in so doing, they bring forth much fruit. These are the people who are determined to follow him faithfully, no matter what the cost. How common is this? It's hard to say. One thing that can be said is that each and every one of us here is called to this. And like every man, each and every one of us here is personally responsible for the condition of his heart. Each and every one of us here needs to look into his heart of hearts and ask himself, am I doing whatever I want? Do I just do my own thing, deciding what's right and wrong for me, rather than heed the commandments and obey the Lord? Am I just going through the motions? Do I have a superficial faith that doesn't penetrate into my heart? When someone pours scorn on our holy church or its teachings, do I resist, at least internally? Or am I afraid of what people might think and just go along with it? Assuming that I practice faithfully and believe everything the church teaches, when it comes right down to it, do I love God above all things? Or am I more in love with my wealth or my power the pleasures of this life. Who am I following? Am I following the Good Shepherd, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and showing them that I love him by carefully keeping his commandments? Have I thought, have I really thought about the fact that I am personally responsible for the condition of my heart? Do I realize that I'm going to live forever? Where is it going to be? In heaven? With a good shepherd? Or in hell? We're going to live forever. We're going to live forever. Forever.